Welcome to Voices of E-Learning, reflecting the people living and breathing the future of education and online learning with your host, J.W. Marshall. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of the Voices of E-Learning supported by MarketScale. And on today's episode, it's just me solo hosting Lena Marie Saleh, the EdTech Guru. And we are joined by one of my favorite people, Christopher Nessie, podcaster, founder of the Education Network, high school social studies teacher and mentor. So Chris, why don't you give us a little bit of background about yourself and why you love what you do? Lena Marie, thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate it. Anytime yeah, I get to so talk happy. to you is, is a great conversation. So thank you. I love what I do because I get to help people. And somewhere along the way, when I was a kid, my parents instilled in me the, the joy of volunteerism and just doing for others and just being kind. And oddly enough, that translated into a career in education, which is where I've you know, made my bread and butter since 2007, 2008. And, you know, from previous conversations, it's something I wanted to do since I'm, you know, a junior in high school. So it, it wasn't the easiest road for me to get to where I wanted to be. Uh, some days I feel like I'm still not where I want to be, but I'm enjoying the journey, you know, being a high school teacher. Um, you left out a couple of things. That's okay. I also teach at the college level. Mm -hmm. um, I run a number of podcasts. And ultimately, you know, I still have time for my beautiful wife, my two wonderful children. And, you know, every night I put my head on my pillow and I'm happy. So that that's kind of where I'm at in life. <laughs> and that's great. And Chris is putting it mildly, but he does um, edit a number of podcasts. He it also does teach at the college. Um, he also mentors, you know, student teachers and he's brought them onto his, um, podcast as well. And he has a, um, so he has the house of ed tech, which I followed for a very, very long time. Um, it was one of the ways when I was teaching that I was looking to kind of connect and network and there wasn't anyone near me with the same thought leadership. And so that's actually how I stumbled upon Chris himself and his podcast, um, and then he also does a um, podcast called Podcast PD with two others. And it's really fun to watch that dynamic amongst the three of you as well. It, it, it's a good time. And again, we, we podcast because we get to spend time with each other. And, you know, over the last couple of years, it's been challenging to be in the same place at the same time and getting the opportunity to talk with them is Again, something that puts a smile on all of our faces. It gives us an opportunity to connect with people, talk about what we're interested in learning in education, and people learn from listening to our interesting conversations and our guests. And you know, I also get that same feeling when I do the House of Ed Tech. And you know, you've been a guest on on the House of Ed Tech. And you know, anytime I get to have a conversation, it's uh, it's a learning opportunity. Yeah, I agree. And that's probably my favorite thing I think about like podcasting or just being able to like share your voice is being able to connect. And it's also something that you're connecting with people, even though they don't know that they're connecting with you. Oh, people know they're connecting with me. <laughs> <laughs> once we talk once we are connected. I, I tell my students, I tell this, on, if I haven't ever told you this yet, here it is. We are connected. And if you ever need my help until the day I'm dead, just reach out to me 
if you think I can help you. And I think that is what makes you such a great podcaster and such a great thought leader in the space. It's just your authenticity. You can feel it um, when you're listening or watching anything that you're doing. And so I think that that's an important um, piece and why I found such value in the work that you do. Thank you. I try again. I'm not trying to be authentic. I'm, I'm just me. I'm beholden to nobody, but my own standards and the bar that I set for myself, which is <laughs> there's just, it just goes beyond with saying that you can feel that from people. Sometimes it feels like, you know, when we're connecting with others or we're listening to things it can feel very inauthentic. So I think just being you, and that's what we hope to do here too, is to just be ourselves and, and just knowing that we are who we are and our thoughts are our thoughts. And I think that's just makes us more relatable sometimes. Absolutely. So what thoughts do you want me to share? Oh, such a great transition. Um, so we know that these last few years, and and really, if we're really speaking candidly, way longer than just the last few years have been quite traumatic for teachers, specifically, obviously, the pandemic. Um, but what do you think has been some of the some of the like greatest learning that has happened over the pandemic for teachers um, in results to ed tech or just in the education space? Um, yeah, I, I think, and I'm going to spin this as a positive. I think one of the challenges of education has always been teachers and school leaders being afraid and being uncomfortable, getting uncomfortable, right? The pandemic, I think one of the bright spots is it pushed us along and it forced a lot of educators, myself included to try and do things the way you had never done them before. I was in a unique position as a content creator and a podcaster, you know, doing live streams. It was easy for me to say, oh, I can't go to school. All right, I'm going to fire up StreamYard or I'm going to go live and, you know, use, you know, Zoom or Google Meet. And, you know, I've got the gear that I'm using right now. I had that. I was able to go live. And whether it was my high school students or my college students, you know, the reaction was always, wait, are we in class or are we on a YouTube channel? Right. <laughs> so it forced everybody to do things differently. And it forced people to get comfortable getting uncomfortable during this time period, which I think has been great. Uh, in my own experience, I saw in the school and the district I work in move very quickly to make changes. You know, when I started there 10 years ago, I honestly never thought I'd see the day where the students would be one-to-one -one with a device of any sort. And just before the pandemic, we had carts in every room. We had Chromebook carts. So during the school day in school, kids could have access to a Chromebook. And then once it went virtual, well, it was now the technology department got to get those kids, these laptops so they can continue to learn. And now that one-to-one -one initiative has stuck. Was it in their, you know, five to seven year technology plan? Yes. Were they ready to do it in 2020, 2021? No, that was not the timeline. The pandemic forced their hand. And I'm sure that that was the case in many districts, you know, to move forward. And then the conversation shifted to, all right, what did we, almost what we're talking about now, what did we learn from the pandemic and how can we apply the best of that to what we do in a quote unquote, more traditional education setting. So I think that's where we're at. 
Have you seen, being that you're still actively teaching and in the classroom, have you seen any shifts that happen regarding professional development? I know you lead a lot of professional development in your district, but have you seen the district overall make a shift to supporting teachers more because they had to get comfortable with being uncomfortable um, or see any of those kind of like natural shifts happen in the school? Yes and no. Uh, some professional development is still, you know, uh, sit and get sit and get, but uh, <laughs> just still very much dictated top down. Right. You know, there is a little bit more choice. Uh, they've thrown in more again, top down SEL, self-care, mental health, wellness, professional development, which didn't really exist before it was you know, you needed mental health or you needed to relax, you know, take a sick day, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but now I'm seeing a little more PD that gives you time. And, you know, I think people have started to realize that time is precious. Spoiler, time has always been precious. Mm-hmm. Let's respect time, right? Because it's always moving. That, that's kind of what I've seen. I, and I know, you know, from being on Twitter and, you know, Facebook and LinkedIn and being connected, you know, you see a lot of positive shifts, but you still see a lot of people that are, you know, there's teachers who, all right, we're back in school. Good. I can't wait to get to that copy machine and make my dittos and my worksheets. And, uh, you know, don't ever want to touch those Chromebooks or pick a device again, you know, let's go back. Can't wait to get back. And I think that's where a lot of people have faltered and stumbled and, you know, missed the opportunity to really change this profession and what education looks like, because, you know, comfortable feels good. Right. There's a reason that we love nostalgia. We love that warm feeling we get about the way things were and good, bad or indifferent. It's, it's something that we can't avoid. Um, I even find myself this school year. You know, there were points where I did things the way I used to do them and it came naturally. It felt OK. It was good before. It's good now. But I know that as I go forward, uh, there are some changes I want to make and I try to reflect between the school years and, you know, even during the school year, you know, I have common planning time where I sit with colleagues in my high school history department. And, you know, we're always, I mean, yeah, we, we bitch and we moan about stuff, but we're also trying to be more proactive in um, making positive change and changing our mindset and trying to create the best opportunity and experiences for our students. Because ultimately if our students are enjoying their educational experience, it's because we're enjoying the educational experience. Yeah. It translates a lot to, you know, your passion that you have. And, and I think you make a good point that sometimes it's easy to fall back into what we used to do before. I mean, we all catch ourselves doing it. So I think it's important to have those like reflectionary periods. We'll talk about what we can do to kind of prepare for the summer to kind of get fresh eyes and kind of those reflectionary things. But I wanted to ask your thoughts. So, so often we've heard from the pandemic that a lot of students really kind of fell off the bandwagon in terms of academic achievement. I tend to think, um, and this is probably just me, that actually students showed growth, but in a different way. They learned how to multitask, how to communicate better, um, how to really um, stand up for themselves and what they needed and become self-advocates. Did you Have you seen any like really shifts in students themselves since the pandemic happened? Absolutely. You know, I, I, I was hoping that as you were saying that you were going to go in that direction, which is there was no learning loss. Okay, sure. 
the standardized tests they suffered. So what? Right. I just tweeted the other day, you know, life is not standardized. Why are our assessments? Okay. And I can't think of any point in my career where I really needed that standardized test data. (laughs) I've been teaching for over a decade. I've never looked at standardized test data. Sorry. I've never looked at it. I've never looking, look, looking. I've never looked at a chart, a table, a graph that has influenced my practice. That doesn't play a role for me. I'm, the, the data is there. You know, in in New Jersey, uh, we have uh, some yearly standardized assessment, and you know, it, it focuses on the math and the language arts. And typically, we'll see a graph at a faculty meeting at some point that says all right, reading scores went up, math scores went down or vice versa, whatever the case may be. But, you know, nobody's missing standardized test data. But there was this shift because students did learn a heck of a lot through remote and virtual learning. Some of the things you mentioned, time management, right? You know, the, the population that I serve, you know, it was not only high school students that needed to keep up with their studies, but high school students that also needed to care for younger siblings that they don't normally have to do that during the day. Or a lot of students that I know in my population, not only did they have to do school during the pandemic, they also had to find ways to help supplement their family's income and help out by making and bringing in money. Okay. And, you know, when the the pandemic not ended, but when virtual learning ended, there were a lot of kids who suffered, not just in my community, but around the world who virtual learning really worked for them, right? You know, you were in middle school more recently than me, but I both, I think we would both agree that middle school is an awkward time for anybody, teachers included. And, you know, the the social pressures, what to wear, how do I look, all the crap that we as adults are like, why do you care about this? But then we forget, well, it was important at one point, how you looked in high school or middle school. And kids didn't have to worry about that. They could just focus on learning or whatever they needed to do. And now school, eh, sorry, not sorry, kind of ruined that for some kids. Mm -hmm. I I remember going on some interviews in the last summer and, you know, I talked about how, you know, school should still consider what type of virtual or remote option can you offer all the time? Because there are kids who will thrive in that situation, you know? I've said for years, and it's not original, but I'll put my name on it. If we're measuring seat time, we're measuring the wrong end of the learner. Mm -hmm. The pandemic and all of this taught us we can learn from anywhere. And I think of a lot of adults knew that, but I think it really opened the eyes for a lot of students. And I've had a lot of high school students in the last year. They've questioned, like, why are we here? I, I was able to do all this stuff at home. Why am I coming in here? I don't have a good answer because that's the way we've always done it, right? I mean, I teach history. So I talk about the factory model. I do the industrial revolution as part of, you know, the world history curriculum. And I always try to find ways to relate it to the kids. So I always tell them, hey, not for nothing, be glad you're alive now in 2022 and not 1922 or 18. Like, just be glad you're a kid now where yeah, you go to school and you don't have to work 16 hour days and I'm not going to do a history lesson for you, um, but you get the idea. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I think what also, in addition to like what the students learn and, and what they were able to do, I think it also gave teachers a different window into how their students learn. I think also, so I, I, when I was working at Code Monkey, I did a couple of like volunteer lessons in a couple of teachers' classrooms and different things like that. But I would hop in a little bit early and they would be in a breakout room with another student, giving them one-on-one attention. And I think it also created a lot more meaningful connections that way for the teacher, because for the first time, you're not dealing with a kid screaming at you across the room, another kid needing something else, another kid. So you could actually give this student one-on-one attention. And so while the test data didn't reflect that students were learning, it's because you want to know why they didn't do it because we weren't doing drill and kill every single day. We were giving them more intentional, thoughtful learning that made sense for what it was that they needed at the time. And I think that, I don't know, I just, I just really saw teachers really forming these authentic connections that they had been so hungry for, for so long. I, I, I agree. Uh, I was one of these teachers who when I was teaching virtually was running, you know, Google meets and I would have my class Google meet. And I would also open up a separate Google meet. That was the help room, right? You need to come in. I, I, you know, again, having three monitors here in the house of ed tech was able to say, all right, if you need help, here's the link. I'll come over here. You can still see me. I can still see all their avatars. Um, but then in those one-on-one spaces, or if it was, you know, two kids and me in a small space, you know, that's where they would turn their camera on. That's where they would unmute their microphone. That's where they would open up a little bit and be a little more vulnerable and ask for help. And I was able to get to know them. Was it the same as in person? No, I am much better in person than virtually. I do my best to translate virtually, even here in a conversation like this. Like if we were sitting in a, I don't know, at a bar and we were just like talking shop, right? It would be a fun conversation. Um, So I think that's something that I bring to the table and some teachers were able to do that. And some teachers, you know, for example, at the college level, when I was able to easily switch to remote learning and do the streams with the mic and the whole thing, my college students said, you know, Professor Nessie, you're the only teacher making us do these Zoom meetings and coming in, like doing these live streams. Everybody, all everybody else I'm taking, they gave up. They just said, here's the work, get it done by this date. Good luck to you. <laughs> yeah. And what, was, it, it, and what was really meaningful is when I was doing that, I've had the opportunity since the virtual period at, at that level that I have now had some of those students in person, right, in the last couple of semesters. And they're like, again, you did great with that, but it's so great to like meet you. There was one girl, she, I taught her two classes virtually, and I brought her back for an alumni panel that I did in one of my courses. And the day she came to do the alumni panel face-to-face with the, the students I was teaching at the time last fall was the first time she and I had met face-to-face physically. And I taught her for two courses. We had this great rapport and it was the first time we got to meet and it was just like seeing an old friend. Yeah. I, I think that's, I don't know. I just find that to be really impactful and, and powerful too. I think when you do actually get to connect in person. But I also think it creates a certain sense of vulnerability that you may have never seen with those students before. So, well, it, there's it, a double-edged sword for both, right? Like, but, but the focus <laughs> has to be, no matter what the environment is, relationships. Mm-hmm. Always. It's about building relationships. Not, I mean, not friendships. I mean, I, I, I hate all my students the same. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Editor, take note. <laughs> you know, but it's about building relationships with these 
people, right? It's that human element in education, which I think in too many places gets lost. There's a loss of a human element from administrators to teachers. And there's this uh, barrier that, that teachers put up between themselves and students. And we're all people, right? I'm a human being. I, I, I talk with my students about my family. I, I, I let them get to know me as a person. You mentioned that I'm authentic. As authentic as I would talk to you about my boys and my wife and you know what I do on the weekends, I will talk with students about because I would want them to feel comfortable to share with me, right? Beyond, hey, you know, happy birthday, you know, whatever, you know, how was your birthday? Or just get to know your kids. And yes, virtually that's challenging. Face-to-face, it's a little easier, but either way, it's important. It's all Mm -hmm. about relationships. 100%. And so on, on that, like natural transition. um, So being that you are, you know, very active in your district and teaching with students and teaching at the college, um, you started dabbling quite a few years ago um, into doing some content creation. So what kind of made you make the switch from, or I guess not really make a switch, but starting to actually put yourself out there for others to now relate to? It's a couple of things. First and foremost, my wife, and I love her dearly, she said to me in 2013, I'm tired of listening to you talk about all this stuff. (laughs) You should start a podcast. So there was that. Now, she's a high school librarian. We've had great intellectual conversations about education and technology, but she's not as passionate about the same things as I am, which is fine. You know, we're two different people. If I wanted to be with somebody like me, I would have just stayed by myself. (laughs) But the other thing was I'd been on Twitter since 2000. Nine, okay, was building, you know, my PLN, connecting with people, asking questions. And I felt I had something to say and I wasn't being heard just on Twitter. And I decided, all right, I've got a face for radio. Let me do the podcasting thing. So I taught myself by listening to podcasts about podcasting. I consumed information about something that I was interested in trying. And I just hit record, right? It wasn't easy. I mean, I, I I felt like Casey Kasem doing top 40 (laughs) radio the first time I recorded an episode and it's out there, go to chrisnessy.com slash one. And you can hear my very first crappy episode, which is still out there. And, you know, you can, as we're recording this, you can go out and listen to episode 200. Right. And what I'll always say is, you know, everybody should try it right? Whether it's blogging, right? Not everybody wants to do audio. Not everybody wants to do video on YouTube. Uh, Try something, okay? Maybe it's, maybe you're on Twitter, okay? Maybe you're visually gifted. So maybe you make images to go with your tweets, right? Maybe you don't want to do a whole full-blown podcast. You know, you can do audio tweets on Twitter, right? Uh, You can go do Twitter spaces. You can go live on Instagram. There's a way for everybody to put their point of view out there. And every educator has a point of view and a perspective worth sharing because none of us, while we are similar in many ways and different in some ways, we all are worth putting ourselves out there. We can all learn from each other. And for me, I wanted to help people. I have a passion for integrating technology into the classroom and 
I'm willing to help anybody. Uh, so anybody who's listening to this, you can DM me, email me. I'm, we'll get my contact information out there. If you think I can help you, reach out to me. I'm more than happy to do it. And that's what led me to creating the podcast because I knew that I could help people, but selfishly, shh, don't tell anybody, I'm learner zero, right? The, many of the interviews I have is because it's people I want to talk to and learn from. Mm -hmm. And then it just so happens I share those conversations so anybody can listen in. So, yeah. And it's, it's very valuable. Yeah. I think it's, I love that you've been doing it before podcasting was like really podcasting, right? Like everyone is now like doing no, content no, no, creation. No, no, Here's, oh, 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 yeah. Little, little podcasting okay. history lesson. <laughs> I was late to the game. Podcasting started in 2005. Yeah. Uh, if I have few regrets in life, I wish I had gotten into, I, I was aware of it. My actual, I tried to do a podcast. I was doing a long-term sub experience back in 2008. And I thought, oh, I could do this weekly wrap up where I can make it available to the kids. You know, I'll just do a little once a week on Fridays and I'll distribute it. However, I, it was on Schoology, right? <laughs> I, I spread that like wildfire. Cause it was like, oh, this is cool. There was no Google classroom yet. So I was like, oh, I could post these little audio files that I recorded in audacity, which I still use. I didn't know what I was doing. And I did have a podcast in 2008. It, it was called history. The Nessie way. It doesn't exist anymore. It was, I did it a couple of times and then I just kind of fell away from it. Um, but I wish that I could be somebody who is considered an OG podcaster, mm. you know, but I'm not, Yeah. but I've almost done it for 10 years, but podcasting is almost 20 years old now. So, yeah, I do feel like you've been podcasting for a while before it really had as met, like now it's pretty saturated, right? Like podcasts, like you can find well, podcasts about anything. I'm going to yell at you about that too. So <laughs> it's not oversaturated because again, that idea that we all have a perspective and a point of view and a voice yeah. worth sharing. I'm not the only ed tech podcast out there. Would I love it if everybody who consumed an ed tech podcast was listening to my show? Sure. But there are other really good ed tech podcasts out there that have come and gone. And there are great ed tech podcasts that have yet to be created by somebody else. That's true. I mean, it is right. I mean, I mean, look, look at it's your always own. evolving. You're right. Cause even like clubhouse or Twitter spaces or is it Twitter spaces, audio spaces? Yeah, yeah Twitter spaces. And, and, yeah, and look Twitter at your spaces. journey, right? The best time to get into YouTube would have been, I don't know, 2008, 2009. Yeah, yeah. But not you so started when like you me. started. Yeah. It's not late. <laughs> it, you started at the next best time to start for you. Hmm, that's a very good perspective, actually. So um, on that note of like, you know, you started at the right time for you. With PLNs, we know that teachers have sometimes... Um, you know, sometimes the PLN in your direct school might not be the right PLN. You know, it's a good PLN, but maybe you're seeking some more um, exposure. Maybe you're wanting to seek new ideas. And so you mentioned you went to Twitter to start building your PLN. And then you started to put out your, you know, content and your thought leadership through podcasting. And what do you suggest for a teacher who is feeling in a rut not feeling supported in their current classroom or their situations um, to do to start building their PLN. It's a, like a step one and a step one, a pick Twitter, pick Instagram, pick a platform, go to the signup page, 
Go get a username, get a professional education sounding username. Don't be at skis all the time, 99 on Twitter. Nobody's going to respect you. Uh, <laughs> so go get your handle and go jump in, reach out, connect with Lena, connect with me, right? See who other type in education in the search bar, right? Type. We all know how to do searches. Okay. If you're a teacher, you should know how to search for information, whatever you're interested in search for it. You can go to Google. Who should I follow on Twitter? I'm a teacher. You're going to get a result, right? If you see a list with 82 people on it, maybe consider me. I'm like the 83rd person, <laughs> you know, just reach out. You don't have to jump in and start asking questions. You can read, you know, you can Google what is a Twitter chat, right? Go see what's out there. Google, how do I use Twitter as a teacher? I'm not going to take the time to answer that question because it's out there, right? Mm -hmm. Teachers have been doing this for over 10 years, but you got to get an account. Step one, get an account. Step yeah. two, connect with at Mr. Nessie on Twitter. <laughs> exactly. De I definitely recommend you um, connecting with at Mr. Nessie um, on Twitter. It's always dropping lots of truth bombs and ed tech tips and different And my Wordle like score. That. Yeah, the Wordle and, score. And That's the weather top. in New Jersey. <laughs> Um, but as we talk about wrapping up, obviously the last few years of a really challenging time for educators, what are some things that you think teachers should be thinking about or doing to help kind of refresh, reflect, um, for the upcoming school year? Take time for you. Take a vacation. It could be a staycation. You got to take a break. And I would say that not just now, but Every time, every year, take time for you. Because if you're not taking care of yourself, how are you going to take care of other people's kids? Right? So go on that vacation, spend time with your loved one, your best friend, your wife, your husband, whatever, your kids. Take time for you because time is precious. Okay? You can't get it back. We're not making any more of it. You get what you get and that's it. So take time. Now, in terms of professional development, do what's comfortable. You know, pick something you'd like to do better next year and go figure out how to do it better. Connect with the, the people who are or you think are doing it better. It could be in your school. Again, if, if you're going to be new to Twitter or social media or you're already on these platforms, find the book to read. Find the YouTuber to follow. Find the podcast to listen to. Right? have the conversations. Not every day, right? As much as I'm into learning and growing, believe me, I'm enjoying my summer vacation. Trust me. But I do find time to grow and reflect. And that reflection piece is so important. You know, if you're not journaling or jotting notes down throughout the year, pick up that habit starting next year, right? And move forward. Pick one thing. That, that's my best advice. Don't, don't bite off more than you can chew or it will be overwhelming and you will be miserable. We can already be miserable in education or any profession. Pick one thing, make a goal, take one step forward. It doesn't matter whether you crawl or walk or run. Forward is forward. Yeah, that's a 
just a good takeaway in general for anyone in any industry is just take time and reflect. I think there's such power in unplugging and, and refreshing just personally, no matter what, if it's five minutes outside a day, or it's taking a long vacation that you need with your family, um, you're never going to be a better person if you don't, or just your mind isn't going to be as fresh if you're not taking time to just take a break. And, and, you know, part of that break should also be do stuff that has nothing to do with education. Let your mind wander. I tell my students this all the time, be bored. Because that's when your mind might do its best work. Mm-hmm. When you're not focused on the task, do something else. And then, it, and then that idea will hit you. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and, and doing things outside of education will actually sometimes even spark something more innovative for you for the following year. So it could be, who knows, it could be learning how to fly a kite and you may be thinking, oh my gosh, I want to have my kids engineer something like this. Like there's just different things that might just refresh you and spark joy in places that you haven't had the joy sparked in a long time. Yes. I, I love that idea of, you know, sparking joy, go find happy. Mm-hmm. And when you exactly. start to rack up all that happy, guess what? You'll be happy. Exactly. And if you're happy, your kids will be happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if your parents will be happy. I don't care about the parents. Uh, <laughs> I care about the kids. If you are enjoying what you do, it's a much more pleasurable experience. It is. Right? If, if you're not laughing, if you're not smiling, then what are you doing this for? Mm-hmm. Very, very true. And, and that's important in any field, any industry that you're in is making sure that you are making those connections. And, you know, we've seen obviously, uh, you know, uh, quite the transition of teachers leaving the classroom and things like that. And I always say that if you're feeling it maybe isn't that you need to career switch or find a new thing, it could be something like starting a podcast or building your PLN. I think building your PLN could be a really big breakthrough for you as a person. So maybe you may not be getting what you need from your direct school site. But for me, a long time ago, I hot, I found your podcast and started thinking about all the ways I could, you know, reinvigorate myself by using, you know, ed tech in the classroom and doing different things like that. So I think there's also power in just, in just finding others that you can connect with and relate with and, and spark that joy too, and in the educational landscape too. And, and look, I mean, since I've known you, I mean, for all intents and purposes, your life has improved immensely since we've connected. <laughs> it's true. It's life changer. Add a new title to his title here Under, underneath add, um, <laughs> life changer. Um, so before, before we close out today's episode, being that you are the house of ed tech, what is some strategies that you can give teachers to better incorporate ed tech into their classroom? It goes back to what I just said about how you can be happy or how you can get that professional development. Pick one thing. Ed tech, effective ed tech integration rather, is not about knowing and being able to use all the tools, right? I like to dabble and play in my garage. I have the garage of ed tech, as I like to affectionately call it. And, you know, I DIY stuff and I've got a lot of tools out there. I don't have every tool in my toolbox, in my tool bag, in my tool cabinet. I have the tools I need. And depending on the job I need to do, I look for a specific tool. And yes, 
you know, to, to get wood shoppy. We have compound miter saws, we have miter saws, we have table saws, you have jig saws. So there's all sorts of ways we can cut wood, right? Not every saw does the same thing. Some saws do very similar things. So for example, you might be thinking, oh, should I, should I do Nearpod or Pear Deck? Pick one. It doesn't really matter. No offense to Pear Deck or Nearpod. Pick one. Do you need to know both? No. Should you know one? Yes. Pick one. Um, and where you think you want to make improvements in your classroom and the type of, types of opportunities you'd like to offer your students, figure out and pick a tool that will let you do that and then learn it. And guess what? You don't need to be an expert in said tool when you want to use it with students. I know, insert dramatic pause, because you don't need to be the expert. If you think you need to be the smartest person in the room, you don't. Well, I'll give you permission. You don't need to be, and you shouldn't consider yourself to be the smartest person in the room. You and your students, the room is smart. Don't be afraid to not know something. Don't be afraid to tell your students, hey, found this great tool. I know a little bit. Or, hey, I just found this. Let's figure it out together. Then you're all going to learn. And you, then you will be able to really see how your students learn. They'll see how you learn. And that's going to build something special. So a lot of people have asked me that question. And I don't have one set recommended list of tools. Right? There's all sorts of tools out there. You find what works for you. And if you find over time, ah, you know, this tool or this website or this service isn't cutting it, find something else. There's, trust me, there's more than one way to do anything you're going to consider to do in your classroom. So, and also don't be afraid. A wise guy once said on his podcast, using technology isn't difficult. Just give it a try. You're not going to break it. Right. So go try. You have nothing to lose. Exactly. And if you do feel like you break it, there are many support staff on the other side willing to help you with anything that there is, as well as professional development. So if you feel you broke it, step one, control Z. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Undo. Yeah, right. Always. Or uh, control, delete or restart. Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so I think those are really great um, tips and tricks is just really taking you have to you know, learn to crawl before you can run. So taking, if you don't know anything about anything, you know, about an tech tool or anything that you want to incorporate, just doing one thing and doing one thing really well is going to really help you because when you learn how to do one tool, it makes it easier when you learn how to do the next tool, because they're all very, very similar in, in the way that they work. One has a little bit more complexities. One works a little bit differently, but for the most part, it's like, you know, using whatever browser you use, they all do the same thing, but you're going to have a preference towards one over the other. Yes, absolutely. And the other thing that I, that I would leave you, the listener with is don't worry about what other people are doing because it doesn't matter. You do you. Don't compare yourself to the teacher next to you or across the hall or in the other grade level. It, don't waste your time. Every moment you spend comparing yourself to others is time you are wasting learning something for yourself that is going to make you better and could, in theory, positively impact your students. So don't waste your time. Find ways that you can cut out the things that annoy you to make room for the things that bring you joy. 
and I'm paraphrasing one of my favorite TED Talks, The Magical Art of Not Giving a f- 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 <laughs> Google it. Watch it. Yeah. No, I, the, that is a just you do you. And if you can take anything from this episode, I would say that would be a big takeaway. We are so thankful to have Chris on our podcast today and all of his notes and details will be down in the episode and show notes as usual. So thank you, Chris, so much for joining today's episode of the Voices of E-Learning supported by MarketScale. Be sure to check us out on any one of our streaming services or where you consume your content. And as always, it will also be on the MarketScale website. Thank you again. And always remember to keep learning. Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>